0: Hello, everyone. Welcome to Worldwide of Sports on this Friday. It might be the end of the week, but we have some important things to discuss before the weekend commences. And at the top of that list is the upcoming Women's Football World Cup, which is here in Australia and where the Matildas will be one of the favourites to win it. Now, Craig Foster wrote a fascinating piece in the Age and Sydney Morning Herald today, highlighting the difficulty that the game and the tournament faces after FIFA's decision to accept sponsorship from Visit Saudi, that is, the state tourism arm of Saudi Arabia, a country whose history is littered with the mistreatment and forced oppression of women. How exactly did this happen? And how do the Matildas respond? The former Australian soccer player, Stan sports analyst and human rights activist Craig Foster joins me live. Craig, welcome to Wide World of Sports. This is a pretty serious issue, it must be said, just months out from the World Cup.
1: Really serious. And the timing is interesting, as I made clear in that piece uh, this morning in the SMH and Age, is that, you know, it's less than six months to go to the tournament, that this has been kind of lobbed on, the tournament organisers. Um, I think thankfully, and uh, and I would say impressively, actually, Football Australia, the Federation and the New Zealand Federation have written what appears to be a very strongly worded letter um, you know, a please explain or take the please out and explain letter to FIFA, which I think is excellent. You don't mm. always see that. and You don't always see it in football because of the politics of the game. Uh, but the Matildas and the their Players Association and many former players and others have expressed, um, you know, outrage, not just surprise, saying that it's absolutely ridiculous, um, you know, given the fact that, um, you know, you've attached a sponsor from a, a state sponsor You know, this is not a private company. This is Visit Saudi, which is a a state tourism authority. So you've attached Saudi Arabia to a tournament in which uh, all of the Matildas will be playing. And were they Saudi, they would be, many of them would be imprisoned on the basis of their sexuality. Uh, They would also have their legal rights severely restricted throughout their entire life. uh, And therefore, it's completely inappropriate.
0: I mean, I've got to say, Craig, I'm, I'm bewildered by this. I mean, th- th- say what you want about FIFA, right? And we all have a different yeah. view. But there would be yeah. many people in high positions at FIFA who are highly intelligent men and women. Mm. They would have known when making this decision what kind of reaction could happen. So it leads me, as the cynic that I sometimes am, Craig, to think. There's only mm. one of two reasons here. They're either desperate for cash, and in uh-huh. world sport it's, it's becoming harder and harder to find it, or they're just very greedy.
1: Well, it's probably both, um, but I'm not sure about the word desperate, but they certainly wanted to get more sponsors for the women's game. That's true. But, you know, we'd turn that around and say, okay, but at what price? So, you know, here you are, you're bringing in a sponsor and, and, and very likely going to say, well, the women's game needs money. Firstly, you should be able to get money from any number of large organisations around the world, given the growth of women's sports, yeah. given the fact that the Women's World Cup is so, now so incredibly popular that's the first point. Uh the second point is you know money cannot be bought in at any cost because you're asking now the female athletes to compromise their own values uh, you know and their own commitments to women's rights but, you know a- anywhere in the world. So it's patently ridiculous can't happen. Um it's not surprising because uh, actually, uh, football followers will know that Gianni Infantino, the FIFA president, is very close to many of the Middle East nations, Qatar included. Mm-hmm. But Saudi Arabia, he's a big ally. He's pushed them as the um, as the venue for a revamped Club World Cup, for example. You know, it's well known that, you know, he is an ally for them to host the 2030 World Cup. And so we see, and Saudi Arabia bought Newcastle United. They're looking at buying other clubs. So under uh, Gianni Infantino's term, Saudi Arabia's influence in the game at political and commercial level has grown exponentially.
0: Yeah, I, I mean, I remember six months ago when we were having a similar conversation around live golf. And you know, someone like a Cameron Smith taking hundreds of millions of dollars yeah. to leave the PGA, going to Saudi Arabia, and a lot of who I thought at the time were virtue signalers saying, "Well, he he shouldn't be taking that money from a country that he has a history of of uh-huh. you know globalising terror, really, and financing it." Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah. what my point at the time was well he 's being offered ten times the amount of money to play the exact same sport. Are the same people mm-hmm. criticizing Saudi Arabia? Are they also not going to watch Newcastle United because of you know their Ooh. ownership? Are they also not going to fill up petrol at eighty percent of the world 's petrol stations because it 's probably mm-hmm. coming from Russia or Saudi Arabia and and yet now, six months later, we have for me a far more serious issue and that is given, <laughs> given the treatment of women in Saudi Arabia for their state yeah. tourism arm to be directly sponsoring it, it it just seems it seems
1: out of control. Well, it is out of control um, because global sport is just taking money at any cost and not asking questions. And football is the biggest, um, and it's been doing it for a considerable amount of time. I mean, there's a reason why Qatar and Russia both hosted the the two most recent World Cups, mm. and you know, look where Russia is now, for example. Um, and so, and the Olympics, you know, gave Putin you know its highest award of valor. Uh, and, you know, recently, of course, has rescinded that. So no one's really talking about it at the highest levels. You say there's a lot of smart people there, no doubt, but they also exist in a bubble, and I've had some experience advocating to and against FIFA, including some of our human rights cases. You know, you would remember Hakeem al And, you know, you walk into those environments, or you see them at World Cups, or you get to know them, talk to them, and have to work with them, and you quickly realise that, oh, actually, firstly, they're just people like us, and secondly, um, they are highly privileged Okay, so the vast majority of these people have not experienced this. They are not close to the ground. They do not speak to grassroots organisations. They wouldn't have the foggiest, you know, what's happening in Saudi Arabia. They're far more interested in their own political position and the politics of bringing Saudi money in. Than they are of the social impact or the impact on the athletes of doing so. They just don't think about it. That's obvious, uh, because no one's consulted. The one thing I will say though is the is the the players. Professional footballers Australia, which I'm a former chair, um, is the representative body of soccerism and guilders and so on. And they they did a fabulous job with the Socceroos of education over a couple of years period and got them to a really well educated position. Easily the, the most educated male team in the world in relation to the issues of Qatar, and they're 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 also don't have to run through that process um, with Matildas, the but their global body is the one who really should be taking this up. So my question to them is, you know, where is FIFPRO? So FIFPRO is the global players' union. Yeah, this is the organisation that you know is supposed to be pu- pushing the rights of women and the advancement of women's football, according to the values that you know the game espouses. It should be them taking this up. They should have been yeah. out immediately saying this is absolutely unacceptable. We've got you know th- many thousands of uh, female members all around the world. This puts them in a severely compromised position. This is not right. Having said all of that, let's just go back to the start and say, okay, but any country has, should have the opportunity to be involved in sport. and Every country should, uh, you know, or organisation should be able to have the opportunity to, um, to sponsor sport. However, it must come with basic value alignment and conditions attached if that's not the case. Therefore, it's open for Saudi to do so and even host the World Cup. But football has to say to Saudi Arabia, you can certainly do that and that would be wonderful, but on the following conditions. Okay, we need to see minimum women's rights because your women are football players. We need to see LGBTI decriminalisation because there are gay and lesbian players now playing in Saudi Arabia who cannot come out. So, the, you know, this is the discussion that needs to happen. So, Craig, how much pressure do
0: these athletes deserve to be under? I always feel like yeah. we, we concentrate yeah. too much on the individuals. You know, when yeah. the Socceroos came out and released that video a few weeks before Qatar, there was a lot of commentary around, well, if they feel that strongly yeah. about it, they shouldn't be playing. But yeah, you know the yeah. the opposing argument to that is these guys may never get the opportunity to play in a World Cup. Yeah, so that's right. So what happens if I'm, I'm picking a yeah. name out of a hat here? A Sam Kerr yeah. comes out tomorrow and says, yeah. "Well, you know what? If if they're sponsoring it, I'm not playing."
1: Yeah, well, I think it'll be fantastic. Uh, in fact, if every captain of every country, um, you know, aside from those allied to Saudi Arabia, of course, obviously, came out and said that, that would be a very significant statement, Imagine that, and that would put yeah. pressure that would put FIFA under a lot of pressure. Now, the males have not been capable of doing that because, you know, quite frankly, they just don't have the strength. Um, The women, the female advocates are very, very strong, the US players and the like, because they've had to fight tooth and nail for just their basic rights, um, you know, right across the game. So what I would say to the question you asked before is exactly right, is, okay, yes, but, you know, the players might not get there again. The question I would ask is, why should the players have to? What the players can do is put pressure on FIFA to be better and to not do this now or in future and to set the terms and conditions under which they're prepared to play in tournaments that are sponsored by any types of organisations. Um, what, this is what I said before pre-Qatar. The only thing that they can't do, in my view, is be silent. Because if they're silent and they allow their own game to, to take any behaviours and to contravene the basic value set that we talk about in sport, then um, the game is simply going to get worse. So therefore, when it comes to our golfers, um, you know, my view is it's not only about the athlete, and athletes make their own choice according to their own conscience. It's the people who run sport who have to be held accountable. Yeah. And it's the people who are these sponsors and are these states doing this. That's where the the, the ire of the football, of the fans and players need to be directed. Um, I would prefer that a Cameron made a different choice, but every athlete makes their own choice. And, and the, the issue, uh, you know, and, and so a lot of pressure is placed on athletes in these moments to say, well, you have to speak up. When what we should be saying is, well, you should never have made that decision. Mm. And then those athletes who feel comfortable and want to make alternate decisions can be very, make very powerful social impact. And I'd like to see more of them do so.
0: So, Craig, you've covered a, a lot more live sport than I have. But the, the when it comes to the political politicisation of sport, and that is political issues that find their way into the sphere of sport, there seems to be two groups of people mainly. One is... I love it. I love how athletes are using um, their platforms to talk about important issues outside of sport. And the other set of fans um, who also have a strong voice seem to say, you know what? I pay my uh, $25 to buy a ticket to come in and to watch you kick a football or to watch uh-huh. you swing a bat. And I actually don't yeah. really care about what you think about other things in the world because Ooh. I watch sport to get get out of that. And yeah, I, th- cool. I feel like, you know, in the next decade is going to be really important for those two groups of people because I feel like it's only going to happen more and we're asking ourselves more yeah. questions of each other.
1: Yeah, I agree and they're really important uh, questions and conversations and so my answer to that is always well, you know, if you're if you're, I'm putting myself in a position where you're a fan and you're saying, well, I don't really want to hear about this and I say, look, well done to you because you're in a position where you don't need Athletes to speak up for you. So, maybe you should contemplate that. So, the women of Saudi Arabia do. The LGBTI community of Saudi Arabia do. The Mm -hmm. migrant workers in Qatar did. And if someone doesn't speak up for them, people die. Um, You know, people are imprisoned. People are tortured. So, I would say that um, the fact, you know, we should be proud of the fact that athletes are prepared to bring these things to light because there is risk and cost to them for doing so and they shouldn't have to. But sadly, they do. As, as, at the same time, there was some really groundbreaking research uh, released by an organisation called No Second Place, uh, Number Two Second Place, um, and people can go and Google it. And I'm a, an advisor along with um, Adam Goods, uh, Matty De Rosario, and um, David Popok. To this organisation which basically works with sports and corporate entities to make sure that they can bring their social purpose to life through sport, right? And the research of only just before Christmas says very clearly that the overwhelming majority, well in excess of 80% or so of Australians expect sport to make a statement in this area. Yeah, wow. They expect, yeah, they expect sport, sport more than athletes they they love athletes when it happens but they act, their expectation is more on the sports and governing bodies we expect you to take a position on australia day we expect you to take a position on gay rights mm. we expect you you know and we see, and we see this more and more in australia but actually what the community is saying, not just the sports community, but the broader community, is you are a visible major industry and social institution and cultural institution of sport. You have a responsibility to broader social issues. You cannot pretend that you're not citizens and you don't ga- engage in them. So that, that research is really interesting, and it's backed yeah. up by the fact that those athletes around the world who do engage and stand up for people, Naomi Osaka, Lewis Hamilton and others their brand value, as well as that of the sports, actually um, accelerates when they step forward and, and say something authentic. Craig,
0: just changing tuck, just before you go, um, Football Australia today starting its process to create a second-tier competition. The, the, the A-League's been struggling for some time now. It's no secret. Can this work?
1: Yes, it can work. It's going to take some time. I don't know the economics of it, and that's the main issue. There are clubs ready to do it. There is a lot of uh, enthusiasm to make it happen. There is there is a a desperate need to expand the number of levels uh, of professional or semi-professional football so that we can expand the the development of players we can have more pathways, coaches and administrators, so you know, we desperately need that, but it's a question of what the model looks like, so they put out an expression of interest for submissions, I think today, and what that's saying is we want between 10 and 16 teams, but essentially they're going to shape it in accordance with what comes back and what the submissions look like so there needs to be minimum standards. They've made sure that's clear of professionalism, of all-year-round, um, you know, um, remuneration for athletes, uh, minimum staffing levels and these things. That's good. Um, it will work eventually. Um, it's just a question of, you know, where the resources are going to come from, um, and that's always a big question for every sport.
0: Craig, really enjoyed uh, reading the article in Nine's newspapers. Looking yeah. forward to watching on the coverage of Stan Sport for the Champions League. Thanks for coming on. Great. Always a pleasure.